Today on the Cineos Health Podcast, we'll be talking about the commercial model of the future. I'm Jeff Stewart from Cineos Health Consulting. I'll be joined by Howard Brock. Howard is a managing director here at Cineos Health Consulting, who's worked for many years on commercialization. There'll be some background noise because we're at the floor of an industry conference. Commercial model of the future, next on the Cineos Health Podcast. Howard, what is the commercial model of the future? The commercial model of the future is a very interesting dynamic a lot of our clients are wrestling with because our clients look at their everyday lives and they see their phones and they use Amazon and Google and Facebook and they say, why can't healthcare be like that? Why can't my commercial model operation operationalize in a manner that is similar? So they know that the traditional model of lots of sales reps having face-to-face interactions with doctors and the large supporting infrastructure that was able to be supported because of the scale of large primary care portfolios is over. So they're already wrestling with the challenge that they have more specialty and oncology products and rare disease products that are more complicated, have a higher price point, but don't require that infrastructure. So they're trying to figure out how do we evolve? And at the same time, they are evolving to a new healthcare landscape, whether in the U.S. or outside of the U.S. The dynamics are fairly similar, that you now have physicians who still have varying levels of prescribing autonomy, but also need to wrestle with a more complicated an inconsistent healthcare ecosystem that's driven by centers of excellence, that's driven by payers, whether they be commercial payers in the U.S. or they be national payers, ex-U.S. And they also have to wrestle with other stakeholder groups, like advocacy groups. And all at the same time, they're starting to think about, could disruptors come in, the Amazons of the world? And I think that you know, the JP Morgan Amazon partnership is a good example where companies are trying to figure out how they can do something a little bit different. But the healthcare industry and the pharmaceutical industry have long been a herd mentality. So they want to try something, but they also are a little hesitant to truly innovate. You said at the beginning, the clients are asking, why can't we be more like Amazon? Why can't we be something like Google? Mm-hmm. Well, is the answer that they can't? Or is the answer that they can? The answer is that they probably can't completely because of the regulatory environment and HIPAA and even worse, XUS, GPDR has privacy limitations to some degree. But are there best practices that are applicable in those industries that are relevant here? So when we're talking about those particular regulations, we're talking about the fact that we can't reach to patients individually in quite the same way. You can't slice and dice them with the same data set because of privacy regulations. Am you I can't that? often get the richness of the data to connect the patient to the HCP and to the broader ecosystem because patient data naturally needs to be de-identified. Yeah, HCP, healthcare, pro- healthcare provider. Yes. Okay, so we need de-identified data to be able to reach them. Okay, continue. And there are formats to de-identify data today, but they don't give you the perfect match that you would have from your Amazon profile, right? But do some of those same techniques work? The answer to that is yes. 
right? I mean, there's certain buzzwords out there, artificial intelligence, machine learning, you pick them. But the idea that you could stay be better with targeting. And the targeting problem is actually very similar. And what a lot of commercial um, leaders are starting to investigate is what happens with clinical trials, right? So with clinical trials, the goal is to find the right patient and create the best possible patient experience through a clinical trial protocol with the right sites that are going to be most adherent and most likely to recruit the appropriate patient for as little time and cost as possible, obviously maximizing the endpoints of the clinical trial. The commercial challenge is actually very similar because you need to find the HCPs. But, you know, traditional markets and traditional pharma marketing focused on the HCP, but today now needs to focus on the patient because there are additional dynamics of that. And then also the HCP affiliations within systems, because in a lot of cases, specialty products have a more complicated referral pattern where they get diagnosed in a community, but then need to go into a center of excellence or work with a broader ecosystem, often getting a treatment and then returning home and working with a community prescriber. So setting up that infrastructure is something that, you know, rare disease companies have historically done a very good job of. But it's now expanded, and a lot of big pharma companies are wrestling with these challenges. We talked about the commercial model of the future. It's sounding like it's a hybrid model of what we have today that we see from something like Google or Amazon, but not quite the same richness of data. Is there something beyond that, something that we can do because it's pharma that's different that Google or Amazon can't do? Is there something that we have an extra handle on, if anything? I don't know if it's an extra handle, but I think the richness of the data has gotten a lot better. So as Cineos, we're in many ways kind of a unique provider because you know, other companies have taken a strategy of building large data sets. So the strategy we have is something called dynamic assembly. Dynamic assembly? And the idea as part of our model is that the right data for the right situation, because what has emerged over the past five years through a lot of the technological innovations I've talked about and better patient identification is there's a number of emerging data providers who've come. We found one potential partner who leverages open data. We found another partner who has a marketplace of different data sources for unique dynamics that are more uncommon. And we found other providers who have built an entire ecosystem using a combination of claims data and publicly available information to build a huge ecosystem. This is particularly U.S. focused. Another partner who we've talked to has a very robust data set built off of EMRs. So I think there are a number of data providers that are out there that can allow you to have better targeting and you know, get more precise in identifying the right HCPs, the right patients, the right health systems, the right payers, and how the ecosystem works together, which is a methodology that we've been working on called local market strategy for almost eight years now. So let's talk about local market strategy, because I'm not sure that everybody knows what local market strategy is. It's really part and parcel of a lot of how we think about how we commercialize in the U.S., especially. The idea is fairly simple, which is every U.S. geography has its unique idiosyncrasies on how it works together. And as a marketer, the easiest thing to do is to have a blanket approach for the entire U.S. And that's traditionally what our industry has done. Yeah, Florida is not California, and even California is not California. Right, and even Southern California, which the only commonality it generally has is a very close health system with central Pennsylvania. Even that has its own unique dynamics. 
But the reality is, if you can pick like markets, like Cleveland and Pittsburgh, like Florida and Texas, and like Houston and Tampa versus Dallas and Miami, Mm -hmm. you can create a slight approach of tailoring the way you engage markets more efficiently. So I had a client a few years ago who said, Howard, the problem with this is you end up with 100 segments. What do you do with 100 segments? You do nothing. And that's true. But what if you come up with three archetypes that get you 80% of the customization and allow your customer-facing teams on the ground another 20%, whether that be through slightly different resourcing, whether that be through slightly tailored engagement, whether that be through working with health systems and coming up with integrated partnerships. There are a number of local markets. Detroit has been a big example because their mayor is a physician and they have unique population health challenges in Detroit. So I've had three or four clients who have done pilots in Detroit to localize and figure out how they can partner within the community, within the health system, and within some of the large systems like Henry Ford and Ascension in the Michigan area. Moving beyond local markets to now, something that's the model of the future, we talked about it being important to be able to kind of solidify on three or four archetypes that were executable. But now it sounds like we're expanding out to not hundreds, but thousands or millions of archetypes, essentially, of different people that act different ways. So that is an area where technology can help. Because in traditional customer-facing engagement with a human interaction, so whether that be a sales rep, an MSL, a reimbursement manager, there are some limitations and there are particular compliance restrictions that you have to be very cognizant of. However, when you are talking about digital engagement, it becomes much easier to tailor. And the reality is that's where the parallel to Amazon is very good because Amazon has my data and they're very smart. They understand when I want to buy a football jersey because I'm excited about my team winning. Your team is Pittsburgh, right? Pittsburgh Steelers, or it can be any team, but let's take my Pittsburgh Steelers as a good example. They know that when my Pittsburgh Steelers win, that I'm going to be more likely to buy Steeler clothes. They're also smart enough to know that I don't just buy my size. I also buy sizes for my eight-year-old and my five-year-old. And they send me stuff, and they know my five-year-old is not a boy. They know my five-year-old is a girl. So they're smart enough to also send me dresses and pink shirts which she's more likely to be interested in versus my son, who's interested in customized jerseys because he likes particular players, like the player whose last name is the same as his first name, Samuel. And they are that tailored and they are that smart and they use my past behavior, which, you know, the pharma industry for years has used promotional response. But the data and the analytical capabilities have gotten so much better that they're able to process data more efficiently. And then the digital engagement allows you to capture people's preferences and customize the engagement based on historical behavior in a much more efficient manner. Now, the reality of our industry is it is still heavily personally driven. And data shows that. Will that change as older physicians that you know retire and exit the market and newer physicians who are more comfortable with phones get better? Perhaps. But there are still people who are more comfortable with personal data and personal interactions. So I think that it won't completely change. But I think our clients have certainly gotten more comfortable with the mix of personal, remote, and digital engagement in a much more coordinated fashion. The other things the systems allow you to do is be much more coordinated. They provide a much easier mechanism for you to capture preferences and data. Something that we've thought a lot about at Cineos is 
how can we work with our clients and capture historical preferences of HCPs and of health systems and be able to share that through our breadth of the industry in a private and compliant way only if our clients agree. But it's something we've thought about and some of our clients who we've spoken with about it are very interested in the idea. Last question. When we're talking about someone who's like a CEO that's looking and understanding the different market strategies that were going out there, in the past, if it were two or three or even just one ad that they had to watch and had to agree, oh, I like this ad and so therefore I'm putting my stamp and seal of approval on that, they could do that. But when we're talking about A-B testing and many, many, many slices and dices of how people think and might be engaged with, it's beyond how any human could really engage with it. How does the CEO have to change or the C-suite have to change, the commercial group have to change in pharma to be able to accept maybe they won't understand? And I don't mean that in a bad way. We're all human. A computer might be able to understand the optimal approach to be able to reach out to people better than we can. How do we let that happen? I think in the case of C-suites, probably the best thing to think about is the innovations which already happened in the clinical trial portion of the industry. So what the CEO or the C-suite, particularly the CFO, will recognize is also the cost efficiencies of doing so. Are they concerned about their messaging? Are they concerned about some of the backlash of tech companies? Absolutely in both cases. So you need to be cognizant to stick to a message and have some limited customization guidelines And the archetypes actually do allow you to have a small set of messages that are reasonable to be reviewed, maybe not by the C-level, but certainly by the D-suite, and have those messages be paired together and synchronized slightly differently so that you're able to execute. And then the other thing that the data provides is immediate responsiveness, right? So the benefit that an Amazon or Google or whoever, right, I mean, this even became public with the presidential election is you learn really fast what ads work and what ads don't work. And you're able to adjust accordingly. And CEOs and CFOs and chief marketing officers also realize that the percentage of advertising dollars has shifted dramatically to these big disruptive companies, the Googles and Facebooks of the world. So they're aware of these dynamics and they're looking to address them. But I think the thing that they're most interested in is how can I be more customer-centric which ultimately leads to better uptake in my products and better revenue generation, along with in a more efficient way, because they all have to manage their cost structures, because their cost structures aren't able to assume the large personal structure. I think some of the hardest dynamic for a C-suite to actually do is how quickly can you change? Some of our CEOs, and it's already been happening in our industry for the past eight to 10 years, are trying to figure out how you can do more and do more efficiently. And new skill sets are going to emerge, right? The importance of data scientists has increased dramatically. So understanding people that are data scientists, understanding a profile that's still deep science, but able to be a little bit more agile or nimble in the way that they do things. Understanding how our traditional commercialization process needs to be more agile the way tech is. These are all things that people need to think about. And at the end of the day, it comes down to being more customer-centric, which increases your top line and being more efficient, which increases your bottom line. Howard Brock, thanks so much for being on the Cineos Health Podcast. Thank you. That's all for today's episode of the Cineos Health Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stewart from Cineos Health Consulting. If you like what you hear, please rate and review us on iTunes and Stitcher. If you have comments, suggestions, 
questions, or if you just want to talk through a particular challenge that you're having at your life sciences company, you may email me at podcast at Where consultants, that's what we do.